From the Queen's Journal, I'm Jack Rabb. This is The Election Desk, a limited podcast series from the Journal about the upcoming student elections. This week, we break down the key issues driving the most important races and find out what's at stake for students in 2020. In January, Queen's student body will elect its undergraduate, graduate, and faculty society representatives. Students will also elect a new rector for a term of two years. The election will be the first since the Student Choice Initiative, a provincial policy that forced significant changes to the way student governments operate, was implemented. Now, teams competing for some of Queen's top elected roles will grapple with the fallout. Turnout only happens if there's a contested election. And if there's not a contested election, turnout essentially doesn't matter anymore. That was Lucas Borchenko. He's the AMS Secretary of Internal Affairs. He runs the election for some of the most important roles on campus, including the AMS Executive and Rector. Lucas Borchenko, thank you so much for coming on the election desk and welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. To give a quick summary for listeners who might be new to student politics, I'm going to run through a few things happening this month. Undergraduate students will choose a new executive team to run the Alma Mater Society, or AMS, Queen's undergraduate student government, which represents more than 16,000 students. Graduate students will also choose a new executive to run the Society of Graduate and Professional Students, or SGPS, which represents more than 4,000 students. In addition, faculty societies will elect their respective executives. Lucas, if someone were interested in running for the AMS executive or the rector position, how would they go about that? Great question. This past week, candidates for both AMS executive and the rector attended information sessions uh, during the evening, which we went over the uh, important information that they need to know to run for election. That's the first step. We know who's coming to those meetings. We take a sign-in list. After attending an info session, candidates are informed of the date where they can pick up nomination packages. Nomination packages include a form for signatures, as every candidate is required to get 1% of the signatures of the student body, and information on what dates are coming up, which means what campaign dates and when voting days are, and also a list of all the rules, potential violations, a complaint form if they see a violation being committed by another team. The nomination packages allow them to have all the information at their fingertips, giving them the ability to form a campaign plan, start developing a platform, build their campaign team, including their campaign manager, And from there, we move on to the next step. What's the next step? From there, they'll attend AMS assembly on Thursday evening, January 16th. And on that day, they'll be confirmed by AMS assembly to go on the ballot. So the candidates are confirmed by the assembly. What comes next? So the next step is preparing them for the campaign. So we will hold uh, an all-candidate meeting that evening, which will go over the rules of campaigning and what they're allowed to say, what they're allowed to not say, how they go about getting materials approved, because every material that they put out from their campaign has to first be vetted by us. And they have four days between validation and the beginning of the campaign period where they can get any materials approved so that there's a seamless transition from no campaigning to campaigning. Now, you mentioned campaign violations. What might constitute a campaign violation? So campaign violations could be anything from having started campaigning early, you're not allowed to campaign until the campaign days begin, or leaving posters up after the ending of campaign days. And we do walk around and check all the teams during campaign days to make sure that it's only approved materials being used. 
Another more significant campaign violation is attempting to sabotage or target other teams negatively or using people outside of their campaign, uh, people not listed on their volunteers list to attack other candidates. These are all ways that candidates can get in trouble. So when is the last day of campaigning? All right, so the campaign period starts on the 20th and it ends on the 27th. And then there is voting on the 28th and the 29th. Both of those days, campaigning is only allowed online and there's no physical campaigning allowed. Mm -hmm. Where do students vote? On the voting days, students will get a ballot sent to them by email. Now, in a recent poll of journal readers, we asked if they thought that student politics could make a difference in their lives. 64% of respondents said yes, it could. 24% said no, and 11% said they didn't know. Despite this relatively optimistic result, we saw historically low engagement with student politics over the last two election cycles. If students do agree that student politics can make a difference to them, how will the AMS convince them to turn out and vote this time around? So I think it starts with having a contested election. And in a contested election, people are inspired by one team or the other. People are encouraged to vote based on those teams. I feel like it's less the job of our bureaucracy and the AMS to turn people out to vote as it is teams that are running to inspire people to vote and make sure that there is something they want to vote for. Because the worst thing that can happen is voter apathy, and that's created by either only one team running or teams not putting forward their messages to the most amount of students at Queen's. So if more students are engaged when the elections are contested, what's the outlook for this one? This year is looking pretty good. We had four teams attend the information session on Tuesday night, and we're looking forward to see how many of them pick up the nomination package. How or why might somebody get involved with these campaigns? People might get involved because they're inspired by something they see a candidate doing. Maybe they don't like what they see another candidate doing. And they want to get involved because they see something they also want changed in either the AMS or in the greater university structure. So those are all reasons to get involved in the campaign. And the best way to do that is when voting days start, all the campaigns will be publicly facing. They should have websites, social media. They should be in-person boosting on the next day. During that time, the best thing you can do is either walk up to one of the candidates who's running or email them or contact them on social media and ask, hey, can I join? Can I help out? What do you need done? Lucas, you've been a fantastic guest. Thank you so much for coming on the election desk and talking to us. I had a great time. So there's the nuts and bolts of how the election works. Now I'm joined by the journal's managing editor, Ian Sheriff Scott. Hey, Jack. And news editor, Rachel Heisinga. Hi, Jack. Ian, Rachel, you two have covered the last two elections. What should we expect out of this one? Thanks, Jack. Yeah, so to put this election in context, the last two years have seen uncontested races for AMS executive. Uh, 2015's race was also uncontested. In 2018, the AMS was forced to elect its executive by acclamation, where AMS assembly, rather than the student body, takes a vote of confidence to elect an executive when no viable team makes it to voting day. Uh, this has only happened three other times, once in 1983, once in 1990, and again in 2015. In 2018, when we saw the last election by acclamation, our reporting demonstrated a pretty notable decline in student engagement with politics on campus. So what this election comes down to is whether in a contested race, which we're hoping to see, teams can generate enough excitement around their candidacies to swing student engagement in a different direction. Well, according to Lucas, it seems like we're going to be seeing a few teams vying for the AMS executive. Rachel, how did things shake out in the 2019 election? Team AJW was running alone for AMS executive. 
That team was comprised of Austin Pierce, who was running for AMS president, William Green, who was running for AMS vice president of university affairs, and Jessica Tahanayake, who was running for vice president of operations. So team AJW was running alone, um, and one of the big sort of like key pillars of their campaign was to increase student engagement because they themselves acknowledged that an uncontested election showed that there was a like a low level of um, student engagement with politics on campus. So that was actually one of their platform pillars was to increase student engagement. And they actually told us um, through our reporting that they would mark their um, success of their term by whether or not more than one team ran for AMS executive in 2020. So unlike in 2018, when the executive was appointed by assembly, in 2019, Team AJW was um, uncontested, but voted in um, by students through a vote of confidence. Um, however, there was still uh, low engagement throughout their campaign. For example, at their open forum, there were less than 10 people in the audience. Ian, what challenges are these teams going to have to contend with? Yeah, so in January of 2019, the government of Ontario announced the Student Choice Initiative, which kind of upended student politics in the province. It made many once mandatory student fees optional, creating a funding crisis for student unions and the services they provide. In November 2019, the Divisional Court of Ontario unanimously struck down the policy, creating a lot of uncertainty around what the future of mandatory student fees will be in the province. And it's important to remember that these student fees are the backbone of student unions and student governments in the province. Without them, they don't have revenue. The teams running in this election are facing a lot of uncertainty, primarily because the province has decided to appeal the decision that struck down the Student Choice Initiative. We don't know what the outcome of that appeal will be. And so currently, this policy that really changed a lot about how student governments operate is up in the air, and it will be up in the air for the entire election season. This is going to create a lot of unique challenges for teams. Uh, in terms of how they plan out their platforms and how they want to focus their energy and their time. And Rachel, what are the other things you've been reporting on this year that might be particularly relevant to this election? The news team this year has been closely following a number of issues, but one of the most prominent uh, narratives that we've been following on campus this year is follow with the Queen's sexual violence policy. Um, the sexual violence policy was passed last May, a new draft in accordance with the, the government's uh, mandates of universities to have sexual violence policies and review them um, every certain amount of years. In September, members of the Water Queens community, including professors and students, began criticizing the sexual violence policy for a section that required professors to give the student name, student number, and email address um, to the university in the event of a sexual violence disclosure. So basically, if a student went to a professor and told them, I've been sexually assaulted, that professor would have to give the university that student's name, identification number, and email address, and the university would then reach out to that student. And this was widely criticized because it was seen as taking the autonomy out of the hands of the survivor and giving it to the university. Professors in particular criticized this policy because they said it could place students in danger. For example, if a student had an abusive partner who was able to intercept that email. And they also um, 
sort of provided insight on the like environment of a student um, disclosing to a professor, which is often not formal. It can happen, you know, just in office hours or even through creative assignments. Um, and, it, and it sort of breaks that relationship of confidence and trust between a professor and a student. So basically, after you know widespread criticism of this policy, the university suspended that section of the policy and said, we're going to put this on hold and um, have consultations with the student body to hear what your thoughts are on this section, and then we will revise it and you know have a, have a new revision in place by the end of the year. How's that going to play out in this year's election? Well, last year, Team AJW um, built their platform on consultations, um, but they didn't include anything in their platform initially about sexual violence. And this was something we asked them about during our endorsement editorial. And that's really relevant because students who are elected to these positions are supposed to play the role of an advocate and sort of the bridge between students and administration in the university. So the fact that this policy um, failed in in the area that's so like specific to students and like affects students personally so much. It's really important that candidates who are elected to the position this year are able to be that advocate for their student body to administration so that we don't have end up having policies that actually don't benefit students. Can you talk us through what other issues are going to be on the front burner throughout this election? So another big topic of interest um, concerning campus politics this year was the campus alcohol policy, which was updated for the first time in several years. Um, the AMS executive this year had to play a big advocacy role in terms of getting across to the administration what the students wanted to see in their alcohol policy. Whether or not those negotiations were successful will remain to be seen by the end of the year, but it's just an example of something candidates heading into this election season We'll have to keep in mind in terms of that role of being a student advocate in you know the context of policy because the administration will be making changes to things that affect students time and experiences here at Queens and the student government the AMS vice president and president have to communicate to the administration successfully what like the students want to see in their policies. So they have to be able to convince the administration of, of different things that students want to see. And um, you know, we, we're gonna have policies being updated every year. Like next year, it'll be something different for the, the students who are voted into these positions, but that's just an example of one way students have to be able to successfully you know, communicate to the university what students are going to want to see during their time here. So OSAP was one of the big things that was on the front burner for the candidates last year because in January the Ontario government had ushered in significant funding changes to that program. Some other things that were on the platform for HAW last year included sustainability work, mental health work, accessibility work, and the transparency of the society in general. Um, and they've actually done quite a lot this year in terms of state sustainability and mental health. We've seen them usher in the new Empower Me counseling service. And they've also done a lot of eco work um, uh, services like CoGrow and The Brew. Um, so, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to see, you know, uh, incoming candidates, you know, try to continue that work or especially because right now, this year in particular, we've seen a lot of 
um, climate activism. We've had Queens backing action on climate change go to the Board of Trustees. We had the climate crisis rally in September. So I, I would expect to see some sort of sustainability focus and platforms of, of competing candidates. And again, mental health is a big thing in terms of um, the current like mental health crisis on campus and lack of counseling services available. Those are just some of the things that you know might be informing competing candidates as they head into the season. Ian, Rachel, thank you guys so much for coming on the podcast. Really appreciate you guys contributing your time and expertise and I'm really looking forward to, to reading your coverage on the upcoming election. Thanks so much, Jack. Thanks, Jack. The Election Desk is a limited series produced by Amelia Rankin and Rachel Heisinga. This episode was recorded and edited by Amelia Rankin. Original music composed by Ian Sheriff Scott. Ian Sheriff Scott is our managing editor, and Meredith Wilson-Smith is our editor-in-chief. I'm Jack Rabb, and I've been your host. The Election Desk is a production of the Queen's Journal.